The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. That's something we could have done for that other question is go back to 1993 and say, okay, you're going to get nine more live action Star Wars movies. But no one's going to be able to agree on if any of them are good. Yeah, exactly. Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins. Joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Kazow! Kazam! Mm-hmm. And from music video sins, Barrett Cher. Buenos dias. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Today we're gonna be doing a QA session. We got a bunch of questions that we have not answered over the past few weeks that are now in a giant pile here in our email. <laughs> question, question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. And we intend to answer them because we answered them probably three months ago and we still haven't gotten them on. These are so good. You guys are so good at sending questions. Look, we've been at this for uh now nearly six years uh yeah yeah, yeah. right at six mm-hmm. years um and we've answered a lot of questions all right before that chris and jeremy got a lot of questions about cinema sins and and stuff in general uh at, at, at various events uh but you guys keep coming up with good stuff and uh <laughs> makes us think about things and i am down baby so yeah let's get to answering some questions mm-hmm. yeah all right here's the first one baby you guys ready i'm ready my body is ready, ready. Mm-hmm. what are some of your favorite unscripted moments that made it into the movie this person has two examples off the top of their head the first one is from lord of the rings the two towers when they're mm-hmm. looking for the hobbitses and aragorn kicks a helmet out of frustration the mm-hmm. actor, Vigo Mortensen, uh, actually broke his toe in real life filming that scene. So yep. when he screams in pain and falls to his knees, that is actual legitimate agony and not acting. If anybody's ever broken a toe, you understand. <laughs> and how why that goes. was the fucking helmet real? Why was it? <laughs> <laughs> Put a fucking plastic fucking helmet on there. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Make it out of tinfoil. Uh, (laughs) the other example from this person is Django Unchained when Leonardo DiCaprio smashes the glass on the table he actually cuts his hand for real and completely improvs wiping the blood on Kerry Washington's face gross but effective Uh, that was very much a Leo is in character moment there are plenty more examples hell there's a million in the MCU alone but I don't want to be like your other listeners and steal all the good examples thank you haha yeah. yes but listen if I'm ever acting on set and you're acting with me and you cut yourself on accident and you wipe your fucking blood on my skin mm-hmm. I'm calling the cops yep mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. calling the cops yeah. that is I mean I get it she's probably okay with it I would not be yeah. <laughs> Even if it was fucking Leo, I would be yeah. like, the fuck are you doing, dude? Mm-hmm. What if it were uh, Kristen Stewart? 
<laughs> yeah, caught you, didn't I? Um, um, my mic went out for a second. I th- yeah, I, I couldn't hear what you said. That's true. That's true. Yes, your mic was your off. Your mic so went you, out, so you, but couldn't, you couldn't hear. hear things. Right. I said. I said. You got to speak up. I'm wearing a towel. I said. <laughs> oh my goodness um this is a good one um the first one that i thought of uh was the matt damon in saving private ryan Mm. uh at the end where he tells the story about catching the older brother in the barn with i'm pretty sure the girl's supposed to be ugly Mm -hmm. i think he says something like hit every branch of the ugly tree on her way down right right. they were like making fun of the and he's laughing and that's how sort of he gets an emotional catharsis there thinking about his brothers in happier times he improvised that entire fucking thing Hmm. hold on the the whole the whole speech the whole speech the entire monologue improvised no shit yeah i Um, i I had heard about something that that he improved like something about that line or something like that that's crazy no because that every, is every that is the, every the heart of that sourced. final act yeah, yeah that's crazy he just made he he improved it and um he's he's still young at that point just shows the talent he had um the other one that i thought of is nowhere near as long a story to tell but uh when they're ripping the hair off of steve carell's body and 40 year old virgin mm-hmm. a lot of the things he yelled were improv including my favorite moment of the movie when he says ah kelly clarkson mm-hmm. um and kelly clarkson has even been asked about this moment and she finds it funny but um when that movie came out uh the timing of that joke is just i mean it still works today thankfully but uh mm-hmm. yeah so. he was from what i understand he was experiencing some real experiences there and was allowed mm-hmm. to just sort of run his mouth and they kept the best ones mm-hmm. um and it comes in that run too where they just start like jump cutting them together and she screams like fuck you you deserve yeah. to die ah golly clocks up. Yeah. <laughs> that's so beautiful because paul rudd of course is like just a genius improv person as is seth rogan at that point but i think at one point he's like you look like a jack-o'-lantern or something like that <laughs> and then there's the point where steve carell because the i guess the the uh the waxer i don't know if she's an actor or or uh, like an actual waxer but she's laughing i don't know if she's laughing at them like being the way they are or or just laughing as a, the character but he looks at her and, he, and you can see real vitriol in his eyes. He's like, why are you mm-hmm. laughing, you fucking bitch? Mm-hmm. And yeah. she continues to laugh. Mm-hmm. It's so great. He goes, this, it's not a good look for me. He's kind of blood. Paul look- Rudd goes, you look like a man-o-lantern. <laughs> man-o-lantern, that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. I love that movie. Um. Uh, so there's a few that I thought of, um, the, uh, Kurt Russell smashing the priceless guitar and not knowing uh, it was a priceless guitar and hateful uh, eight. Uh, 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 and it's funny to me. <laughs> I like, I, I don't know how that, how does that happen? How do you give Kurt Russell a priceless guitar and don't t- and tell him, you know, you gotta be careful with this. And how yeah. do you, how can you, how do you not have the budget to, to have the prop master make an authentic why did you even need like the martin guitar company is still pissed and they're mm. never going to get over it because that was one of the oldest guitars they had mm. and like why would you even need that for authenticity's sake god it's just so dangerous it's like it's like we're 
like that Jamie Foxx violin on the street guy didn't use a Stradivarius. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> what was that movie called? I don't remember. Was it Robert Downey Soloist. Robert, was it, yeah, the Robert wasn't Robert Downey Jr. in that yeah. movie? Yeah. Oh, that the um, soloist. Yes. The soloist, yeah. Captain Corelli's mandolin. <laughs> yeah, Captain Corelli's mandolin. Yes, yes, yes. Um uh but uh yeah uh like it's it's obviously not funny to to them but just to think just thinking that that how that got set up is insane to me yeah um and uh there was there's also a point where i mean billy crystal's obviously improving a lot in when harry met sally but i love that thing where he's with her and he's like uh can interest you in the pecan pie the pecan pie the pecan pie and you can see meg ryan turn to the camera going oh no oh no like that and she's telling the director like i I don't you know basically what what do i do now but they kept that in the movie because because it's so genuine and everything um then uh the 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 of course the uh, chest bursting scene in alien is uh is an all-timer uh, you know, nobody at, at the table knew that was going to happen except for John Hurt and Ridley Scott. Uh, and then there's a, a movie I've never seen, but I think this line is hilarious. Do you, are you guys familiar with Shark Attack 3? <laughs> no. Um, there's no. a point where uh there's a point where this guy there i i i'm 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 assuming it's uh you know there's a massive shark attack going on in this movie uh but no there's this guy who's like uh he tells this man and this woman like all right we'll see you tomorrow or whatever and like drives off and then the guy turns to the woman this is completely ad-libbed says why don't i take you home and eat your pussy <laughs> and then it's like goes to the next scene where they're like <laughs> you know it's the sex scene of the movie or whatever um <laughs> just... <laughs> that's a way to scene right there that's right that's that, right that's, that's somebody who knows what kind of movie he's in that's oh, why it's the best God. of the trilogy clearly yeah and absolutely you couldn't have you couldn't have that trilogy without that third movie that's uh that reminds me actually of an answer i didn't put down but you know william h macy and boogie nights coming in and you know it's uh the guy talking about setting up the shop shop oh, for the yeah. next movie and he's like you know what my wife is out there with an ass in her cock <laughs> Yeah, in the driveway, yeah. <laughs> driveway, and Paul Thomas Anderson just left it in because he thought it was uh, was funnier. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think that was uh, scripted that way. I think they I don't did think it so. The I... Correct way later on, but he chose to use that. Take. I, I think that's exactly right. I think William H Macy accidentally switched the two, and and it was perfect. And I also, I mean, Ricky Jay in that scene is hilarious. He's ta- trying to talk about the lighting and all that. <laughs> And, and he's like, oh, you know, it's uh, well, fuck it. It's just the lighting of the whole film. And everything. And he's like, Are you giving me shit, Kurt? <laughs> oh, my God. William H. K- William H. Macy's character in that movie is so bizarre to me. I could go mm-hmm. all day about that. Like how, you know, he's he's got this breaking point, but it shouldn't be a breaking point. God, I, I can digress on that. Mm. But uh, yeah, it's interesting. My favorite unscripted uh, parts, uh, I just watched Pretty Woman recently. And, you know, there's so much lore. This movie's, 30, what, 31 years old? Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, there's so much lore about, you know, who was going to play uh, Vivian, who was going to play Richard Gere's character, all, all that stuff. Um, and uh, one thing that I had forgotten was that arguably one of the biggest moments in cinematic history over the last, you know, 30, 40 years is that snapping scene when he's got the necklace and she goes to reach for it and he goes, pop, and she goes, <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, yeah, yeah completely mm-hmm. unscripted uh and you know as i was watching it i was anticipating it because you know how many times have you seen that shot yeah um and then i, I read about it and it was uh it was it was unscripted and you can see she is just so focused on that she's in character she's <laughs> focused on that and she gets and you can see richard gear's finger just creeping up on the back of that box mm-hmm. and my favorite thing about this and the reason that uh, gary marshall kept it in is that she she i would get pissed because those things if you ever snapped your your hand in one of those jewelry boxes oh, especially yeah. a big one those things fucking hurt like i would have mm-hmm. fucking like gone upside his head but she immediately pulls her hand back and she looks at the cameras or probably gary marshall and just starts laughing this beautiful you know full julia mm-hmm. roberts laugh and that's why it's indelible but it was completely mm-hmm. unscripted you know uh, fucking richard gear could have just been like hey you look beautiful Mm-hmm. Fucker he is, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, he was having a little. He was having a laugh. And, <laughs> he's uh, taking the piss. He's taking the piss, <laughs> and uh, I think that's just a beautiful moment. I like that movie a lot. The other one, the other one that I love. Not only this is the the big one, but uh, when Ron Burgundy is freaking out uh, when the man punted Baxter, Jack Black oh, yeah. hitting Baxter off of the <laughs> the, the uh, overpass. And he calls Paul Rudd an Anchorman. By the way, the movie's Anchorman, uh, and uh, <laughs> he's he's in the phone booth and he's calling Paul Rudd, and Paul Rudd's telling him they're going to put Veronica uh, as the uh, the the lead on the news, the anchor, and he doesn't want to hear it. Uh, Ron doesn't want to hear it because he's uh, you know he's he's so upset about Baxter, and he's like, "What's wrong?" He's like, "The man, the bad man, he bought a Baxter." <laughs> And and he's and Paul Rudd is like, where are you? And of course, it's I'm in a glass case of emotion. And if you watch, watch the outtakes, there's plenty more where this came from. But my favorite part of this thing, I've seen this movie like a million times. I still can't get over it. Is where he picks up the phone again, and he's like, ah, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. And then he just goes. leads to that bar that bar scene where he's sitting there talking to is it danny treo is the bartender in there i think so he's like women could do stuff now and all (laughs) but he's sitting there like he's he's getting you know called back and of course his whole crew is just in the bar at that time (laughs) like like just playing pool Um, team we've been here the whole time ron (laughs) such a good movie uh this is a fun one here's a small twist on the recast a movie segment that you've done in the past say you've just come across someone who's awoke from a long-term coma at least 20 years and rather than telling them directly which movies to catch up on would you be able to tell them who from the existing crop of stars is comparative to those they would have known back in the day for example Dwayne the rock johnson is the current day arnold schwarzenegger 
Mm, yes, yes, indeed. Yes, think about that. Um, the one that I came up with was if if you were if you went into a coma in 1995, Jim Carrey was the biggest comedy star at that time. Yeah. Um, if you if you wake up now, uh, you you would call that person Ryan Reynolds, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, both uh, uh, Canadian, eh? Both Canadian and Ryan Reynolds obviously patterned a lot of his thing on Jim Carrey too. Um, um, I mean, you can probably name some other comedy stars uh, that are good in an ensemble maybe, or, um, but not to leading man status uh, like Ryan Reynolds has done. Yeah, because they're both conventionally attractive, but they're also not afraid to just kind of mix it up a little bit. Um, what is the age difference between those guys? Do you probably say? fifteen years? I'd say. Okay. Okay. Uh, it's not, it, it, well, maybe not that much. Well, no, it may be that much because Jim Carrey kind of was a late bloomer. So when he was in living, when he, when he was on in living color, I think he was already 30. So I think he might be close to 60 now. He is 59. Um, exactly yeah. right. Um, and then so yeah, Reynolds that is 44. Yeah. Look so 15 you. years. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the, uh, uh, it, it's, it is kind of, it's interesting how, uh, how close closely they seem. And I don't know, back in 1995, would you even know who Ryan, Re- you wouldn't know who Ryan Reynolds is. Mm-mm. Um, the other, the other part of this question, I, I think I was feeding off a little bit on what Jeremy wrote on his, because it wasn't all about who's the, who's the new, this person or who, it, one thing that's very interesting about stars these days is there's not very many people who fill a certain role that people did back in the eighties and nineties anymore. Uh, movies are kind of sold on their, their product at this point They're If you want to call, I mean, Marvel is sold on Marvel. Uh, you know, people like Chris Evans, they like Chris Hemsworth and all that, but they're not really sold because Chris Evans is in the movie. You know, people aren't going because of that. Uh, but one thing out of this Marvel thing that will be interesting to someone in 1995 is Robert Downey Jr. is one of the most respected and well-paid actors there is today. Because uh, back in 1995, he was deeply in the throes of his sort of his meltdown until I think 1999 is when it started to uh, he started to finally uh, clean it up. And it took a few more years before he got back to respectable status. And then now he, he anchors one of the biggest franchises ever to be created. I think that would blow someone's mind from 1995. Yeah, um, and I'm also going to steal this one. This was on uh, Twitter, I think. And this is how old this question is, because the this is uh, um, this came right after the uh, the Oscars, I believe, when Trent Reznor won uh, won along with uh, God, who else was uh, it was he, he has his uh, Atticus, no, Atticus, not Atticus, Atticus Ross. Atticus, Atticus Ross. Yeah. And then uh, who else? The Stephen Colbert guy also got it. Oh, Jean Baptiste. Yeah, Jean Baptiste, uh, for um, for a uh, soul, yeah, uh, they got an Oscar oh, for, that. Right. and uh, and someone on Twitter was like, uh, was like, let me go back in time and tell someone in 1995 <laughs> that the guy who did the Downward Spiral has gotten an Oscar for a, something he did for the the studio that did Toy Story. <laughs> 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 um, 
and and easy that that tweet was exactly right i mean that's insane to think about if you were back in 1995 and thinking about nine inch nails winning an oscar for some yeah. animated movie yeah. this is not my answer but i have been ironically this question must have just stuck in my brain but i've been talking with friends lately about if you went back to right after lost world jurassic park 97 mm-hmm. and then you told me what spielberg's five most recent modern movies are he told 97 me that right so he's got this movie about a horse mm-hmm. fights in a lot of wars <laughs> you call him a war horse Bo- both mm-hmm. sides come together to help save the horse from the mud mm-hmm. he's doing a remake truce, of, man. he's doing a remake <laughs> of uh west side story uh <clears throat> i would be a very at least perplexed about the trajectory of uh my favorite director at the time mm-hmm. uh, career my real answer is i got some fun ones uh <laughs> marky mark left the funky bunch and is now one of the most prolific action stars in modern film <clears throat> and again mm-hmm. i like chris went mm-hmm. back to the early to mid 90s uh to make most of these so at that point in time he was known as marky mark he was an underwear model who was part of uh, this group that he formed marky mark and the funky bunch mm-hmm. and they had that hit good vibrations his brother was one of the new kids on the block mm-hmm. um <clears throat> and that was it um and he would start acting not too long after that um <clears throat> even boogie nights is in the nineties. Um, and he's the star, but at that time at the good vibrations era, I don't think you would believe that he would go on. That would be like telling me vanilla ice at the height of his career was going to go on to be the next De Niro or something. Well, I when, would punch you in the face. Even in clueless, they make a joke about Marky Mark where it's yeah. like, uh, uh, where it's like, um, uh, they're going, they're, they're doing some sort of charity thing. And Alicia Silverstone is like, Oh yeah, I bet everybody loves Marky Mark. I don't even remember what, what <laughs> reference of the Marky Mark was in there, but she's, but, uh, but she's, uh, uh you know, that's all he, that's what he was at the time. Yeah. He had, I mean, yeah. he had done maybe basketball diaries or something, but he had or, done uh, fear or the big hit. Yeah. He had yeah. A, a bunch of weird eclectic movies. But all right. You know what? His body is healthy. His mm-hmm. rhymes make him wealthy. Right. And the funky bunch mm. help me. Mm. Um, mm. <clears throat> yeah. I'd also like to go back to the early mid 90s and tell uh, that era's movie fans that they, in 2019, they make another Terminator movie with Arnold and Linda Hamilton. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I would have been like, do the math 30 years from now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they actually knew. Yeah. Uh, and the last one I, I thought uh, was an interesting perspective. Again, if you go back to like 93, uh, a band fronted by one of the non-Kurt Cobain members of Nirvana is now mm. one of the best-selling rock bands of all time. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Because at the time, Nirvana was on that trajectory. You didn't have any idea Cobain was going to kill himself. And and even even if you had knowledge of that, you wouldn't have said, but I think that guy over there is going to start his own band and be the front man and go on to be like basically bigger than like, Mm -hmm. is there another American band, rock band that's bigger than the Foo Fighters right now? Not historically. I don't think yeah, there you is. Could no. Jam a Green Day, but uh, maybe Green Day. Opinions, but uh, no. Yeah, the that's one are... of the biggest acts in the world, and uh, you know, in '93, like, ah, oh, get out of here. Nirvana's going to be here for forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That is <laughs> insane because it, it's not get like 
it's not like Dave Grohl had this big, you know, profile either. It was, right. and they, and that, and you know, that, it, that felt like a one-off almost when he came out with Foo Fighters. And even though it was a big, huge hit album, obviously, but that felt like, you know, they're not going to, he's not going to be doing this for years and years or anything. This is like something he'll do every once in a while. It'd be like, you know, uh, like J- Jane's addiction doing porno for pyros and all that, mm. you know, it'll be sort of like that. Uh, you know, uh, and then, yeah, now 27 years later, he's, they're still cranking them out. And, yeah. Not um, only was he the youngest guy in the band by far, he was like 19 or so when he joined mm-hmm. Nirvana. Um, but also they had gone through, let's see, Chad Channing, like, uh, they had gone through probably four drummers Nirvana had. Oh, wow. <laughs> Between I didn't realize Bleach that. and Nevermind. In fact, I think Chad Channing played on some of the Nevermind sessions before they brought in Dave Grohl. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it's yeah, you could you could believe that Chris Novoselic went off and did his own thing. But, yeah, Dave mm-hmm. Grohl would be a little weird. A little yeah. Weird. Uh, so mine would be <clears throat> I'm going to travel back to 1991 using the 30 year rule from Back to the Future. Back mm. to the Future was 1985. He goes to 55, then he goes forward to 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1991, if I told you Keanu Reeves became a beloved figure in acting or in cinema and is one of the most popular draws in cinema, but his acting has only improved a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That would be something because at yeah. this point in 91, he has done in 91. He did point break. Uh, he'd already done Bill and Ted's. Uh, mm-hmm. He did Dangerous Liaisons. Poor guy. Is there anybody else like that? That is that has improved in stature to, to A-list level without really... I mean, now granted, we're, we're having a little fun because he puts in the work for all the physical shit for the John Wick stuff. He does. Um, and, you know, he's a hard worker. But yeah, that's just fascinating the way you put that. Poor guy. I don't I don't know of too many people who had just, just forget about the acting ability, but just the career starting off with, you know, indie movies and everything. And then he has a couple of, you know, he has Point Break, he has Bill and Ted's and everything. But like you didn't expect him to be like this big sci fi guy you know, through the 90s. And like you would have thought that all the way. Uh, actors usually work is he would have done the matrix and then he would have done all that stuff in the nineties that we, you know, Johnny mnemonic and all that trying to recreate the matrix and everything. But he did all the, the bombs first and then did a huge, you know, thing after that, which is amazing in its own right. And then he takes that matrix money and he starts making some, you know, weird, you know, romantic comedy type stuff that happened for a while. And then he was like, you know, when John Wick came out, that was a resurrection for him, you know? It was. Uh, it was the Keanu Sants. And he's so, mm-hmm. he's, he really is great in uh, Always Be My Maybe. Is that what it mm-hmm. is? Uh, yep. Where he's playing himself. He's, he's playing himself. Yeah, exactly. Uh, similarly, John claude Van Damme and Steven Seagal style movies, which were very popular in 1991. Mm-hmm. Or around that area have been largely replaced by Indonesian cinema and revenge movies like Atomic Blonde and John Wick. Very, very visceral. You know, Bloodsport, it was visceral, but you could tell how fake that shit was. All the slow mo, <laughs> all the 
all the splits, all the big dudes with like fake blood and shit. And now things have gotten by, you know, Atomic Blonde, Peppermint, John Wick, uh, the one that I just saw with uh, Karen Gillan, um, Gunpowder Milkshake, which mm. is really good. Um, you know, all that stuff has gotten to where if you don't do the stuff that, you know, Ray Dread, all that stuff that I was talking about, if you don't do that in an action movie, even Mission Impossible, you, you ain't going to pass the mustard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, man, I passed mustard once, and it was uncomfortable. I bet. I bet it was. It was the dry kind, too, wasn't it? But, I mean, <laughs> you think about, you know, going back and watching Under Siege with uh, Steven Seagal or Bloodsport with uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme, it's so lame as far as an action movie by these standards of today, uh, even though they're entertaining and nostalgic and all that stuff. Um you know, Man, the, the action has really ramped up lately. I used to think, is it the second Under Siege? I think it's the second one, where a guy comes at him with a big knife, and Seagal does this, and like the knife is in his hands now. And like, I'm sure if I watched it now, it would be, it would move like slow motion, and I would see all the strings and putty hands. <laughs> or but I used to putty. think, holy shit, that is some badass shit right there. And if you'd have shown, if you'd showed the raid or the raid two. I know those are the ones I always say, and there are plenty of other good ones, but if you shown that movie to a Seagal fan in 1992, mind would have been fucking blown. They Dude, been able when to I watched it. that in 2018 or 2017, my mind was blown. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Think about, think about what action was, though, back in the Seagal era, era. It was more about what your attitude was and how you yeah. carried yourself, right? It was all about image more than the actual fighting. Yep. And everything. That's why you had those regular everyday dudes who were like Bruce Willis and, you know, who were, who were, you know, our action heroes there for a while. I mean, yeah, I mean, sure, you had Stallone and Schwarzenegger, the big muscle guys, but you also had, I guess Seagal was a big muscle guy too. But like most of the time, these movies, even Schwarzenegger and Stallone movies, was all about this is how I carry myself and I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to punch you in the neck if you say something wrong. And that was yeah. pretty much it. Yeah. And this, it seems more of like now it's movie driven and for better or worse, you know, you don't think of now Jennifer Gardner or Karen Gillan or, uh, you know, uh, Charlie Theron is like an action star, mm-hmm. even though they had these movies that showed off their action prowess. You could debate about Keanu Reeves and John Wick. Uh, but again, I don't think those movies are carried necessarily by him. It's a weird thing to say because obviously the work that you were talking about, Jeremy, that he puts into it and the things that he can do, which is why Chad Stalchucky or whatever makes him ride a horse down the middle of Manhattan. Or, <laughs> right. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, but But it's not his personality. It's not his career. It's not his Schwarzeneggery stuff that that carries a movie it's the stunts themselves uh and the the universe themselves I do you know anyone that refers to that movie as parabellum Mm-mm. but if you're doing everyone just calls it john wick three right yeah, yeah of course yeah kind of yeah. makes you wonder why they put that parabellum on there uh, was the second one subtitled or was it just no, i think uh, it was just john wick two but the yeah. fourth one's gonna be from what I remember, it's going to be convoluted. It's going to be like spirit of vengeance. Yeah, like the, so the, the, they have to cut a motherfucker. Well, I mean, they have they have to do some one of the three: resurrection, extinction, 
anything that was on a Resident Evil uh, subtitle. I had to do it. That's the problem with that shit. It's, uh, Underworld had the same thing. It's like, just mm-hmm. number that shit, man. Like, the only franchise that can get away with it uh, is Mission Impossible these days. Like, you, yeah. you, you don't Well, think because of... it seems like it actually has something to do with the movie, whereas yeah. the other ones are yeah. just kind of like, you just you just came up with something that sounded good on a poster. Yeah, yeah. Like. you looked up the definition of Parabellum and thought, oh, that makes sense to this one character's arc in this thing, and, and no one gives a shit. No, They mm-hmm. weren't there because it was called Parabellum. That's Nobody's, true. like, dissecting the title. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you gotta cut a motherfucker. motherfucker. (laughs) The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Let's go to the next one here. I, I'm actually going right. to move on to TV. We're going to bounce around a little bit here, folks. All right. Dot TV. What <laughs> is your favorite bottle episode of a TV series? A bottle episode, of course, means that uh, there are primary characters that are kind of stuck in a situation one way or another. Um, and it's not... Uh, concerning the larger universe of the series, as I understand that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Dude, why, why don't you go first, Barrett? Go first. Well, I, <laughs> my first one is a cheat, uh, which is funny uh, because I just explained the definition. Um, the Pine Barrens episode in ah, yes. The Sopranos. I've started a – well, I've, I'm actually – three quarters of the way through a Sopranos rewatch in, in uh, advance of the many saints of Newark coming out in October and uh, happened. Well, got to season three, the Pine Barrens episode, which isn't technically a bottle episode because there's some stuff with Tony. There's some stuff with uh, Melfi, a little bit with Meadow. Uh, but the main crux of the story is Polly and Christopher, uh, Polly being a captain and Christopher being, you know, a made guy at this point <clears throat> going after a Russian, uh, that beat up Tony's sister. Um, and this, this episode is so perfectly done. It's directed by Steve Buscemi. Um, and they, the episode just keeps going and building and building and building and building, you know, first they accidentally kill this Russian Polly and Christopher. Then they say, well, we got to get rid of them where nobody will see it. Let's go to the Pine Barrens. Start dropping things like, hey, I'm hungry. Early in the episode. Like, hey, we could just go and grab that. Turns out Russian's not dead. He goes out. They chase after him. They're in an unfamiliar environment. It's snowing. And all the tension just rat wrenches up all the way through. Polly shoots the guy. But did he really? Uh, they get lost. The car's gone. Tony has to go find him. There's this wonderful, you know, moment overnight with Polly and Christopher uh, trying to reconcile their complicated relationship. It is as much of a bottle episode as the Sopranos gets. And it is spectacular. It's, it's, it's up there with one of the best episodes in TV history for a reason. I think Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. it, it absolutely Mm -hmm. uh, killed me because it's funny, but it's also tense as hell 
It advances the story. It opens up a mystery that I believe has never been solved, a loop that has never been closed in the Sopranos universe about where the Russian went. Hmm. Um, and uh, it's fantastic. There's two more real quick. The parking garage episode of Seinfeld where uh, you get the Euromycetisis, you get the mm-hmm. uh, air conditioner, you get uh, Elaine with the goldfish, you got George trying to get back to his parents. It's beautiful. And they, Jeremy, didn't they build the parking garage? Like they just built one set, but they kept walking around. The I don't know same. if they built it or if they, that's just, they just kept changing the signage, to, but they only used one section over and over and over. They right, did. Right. They did build it. In fact, awesome. they, they built it uh, and were snubbed for Emmy consideration because they thought it was an actual parking garage. <laughs> Son of a bitch. It's so perfectly shot. Mm-hmm. It's so great. And then the last yeah. one is the suitcase episode uh, of Mad Men. This is where Peggy and Don get kind of caught uh, in the office overnight. And it's it's such a character development episode, mm-hmm. both for uh, obviously Peggy, who shows some cojones to Don finally, and to Don, who's, who's starting to realize, you know, this maybe not everybody is is how they they seem and how i discount them uh mm. that is such a great episode yeah mm. yeah it is mm. i concur i concur i it should come as no surprise to you that three of my very favorite sitcoms are seinfeld frazier and friends what no <clears throat> and so i i ran with a theme um so we've got the chinese restaurant in seinfeld yep. um there's one called The Dinner Party for Frasier, which is hysterical because the entire episode is Frasier and Niles uh, trying to plan a dinner party. And they keep dancing around poker dates with their dad's calendar. They keep bickering about little things like the, the Crane brothers do. Um, and it is an absolute laugh riot uh, as their guest list goes to shame. Uh, and they, they come up with this system to blackball the other guy's guests if they don't like them, and they start fighting over the guests. It's fucking hysterical. Uh, and then for Friends, uh, early on, I believe in like season two or three, when uh, Ross and Rachel are dating, it's called uh, The One Where No One's Ready, where oh, yeah. Ross mm-hmm. is trying to get everybody ready to go to this thing that is a part of, he's getting some kind of dinosaur word or something. Um, and Joey and Chandler are fighting over a chair. Um, and who gets to sit in it, uh, which leads ultimately to Joey putting on every single piece of clothing that Chandler owns and doing <laughs> lunges. Um, and um, <clears throat> Phoebe spills hummus on her dress. Uh, Rachel can't decide what to wear. The theme in all three of these episodes is that they're all in real time. Uh, in addition to being set in a single location, the scripts for each episode play out in real time. Uh, which I think would be a lot harder to do than you would think. Um, yeah. But if you think about all those episodes, I would bet the the parking garage one comes pretty close to real time as well. But that Chinese restaurant one, everything that's happening to them happens in about 22, 23 minutes while we're watching it. That's about how much time unfolds. On I don't think I well. realized that. Uh, what I like about that Chinese restaurant is many things, but the fact is they allow pauses in yeah. that episode like there's there's times where there's like maybe five seconds where nobody talks mm-hmm. and yeah. you would never find that especially in like a, a network sitcom these days 
but there's there's times where they're just like anxiously looking around and nobody's talking about anything. And oh God, it's so good. Cartwright. Cartwright. <laughs> yes, yeah, I yell Cartwright. No one answers. <laughs> I hang up. Jerry dares Elaine to go over and eat somebody else's food and uh isn't there they're trying to make a movie too right like are they, are, are, yeah. yeah yeah that's right it's like i can't uh, sit there and make uh shitty jokes about the movie on my own <laughs> that's one of my favorite things about seinfeld is how deftly they wove real movies and then sometimes fictional movies and mm-hmm. this is the whole schindler's list thing yeah um <clears throat> there's the english patient run uh, but then there's, you know, prognosis negative. Uh, <laughs> and sack lunch. Sack I, love the, lunch. I love the poster for sack lunch because <laughs> they're all in a bag and like the whole family is like peeking out. And I think mm-hmm. Elaine is like, look at that family. How did they get there? <laughs> it's funny, <Yeah>. right? <laughs> um the the fly episode in breaking bad is mm-hmm. um is uh one of my favorite ones because it, every time they every time these kind of shows do uh these kind of episodes it's all about sort of getting into the psyche or getting some new character development or whatever and that episode is pretty masterful i think <laughs> i don't know how well it's received with breaking bad like fans though i feel like this is an episode that slips a little bit on ratings uh I if, think I'm, if i recall a, i think it's one of the most controversial episodes amongst fans i th- honestly think about half love it like you and me and half hate it mm-hmm. um, why would you i understand that there's there's not you know all the gus stuff and all the uh the hank stuff but like what is the problem with this episode? It's it's that it, like you said, it's I, masterfully done. Look, I love it. it. It moves slow, and yeah, I think that's even when there's not action. Breaking Bad fans are maybe used to a faster pace. What I appreciated is that because we get Walt in this super super tired state where he's almost on truth serum, we, we the whole episode flirts with what is he going to say to jesse mm-hmm. what is he going to accidentally leak um and so it makes it a lot more tense i think than a typical bottle episode because there is this lurking long-term story plot underneath um <clears throat> but you know bottle episodes are what they are uh, you know it's a it's a tv show trying to save money so they can spend more elsewhere so um they they use one set minimal actors they shoot the episode called the fly so that they can spend three times as much on ozymandias which you all agree is one of the best episodes ever mm, so mm-hmm. i think that's kind of how that works <clears throat> yeah. not that those episodes were back to back i just mean in general that's you do a bottle episode so that you can blow your budget up on the next one yeah and uh recently uh ted lasso uh in fact the last the last um episode that came out uh called beard after hours uh is a is a is a great episode uh, beard is the assistant coach that ted lasso has he's the buddy he's he's the pretty much the lovable buddy who's got the stern look on his face all the time he always has uh he tells he he, he says everything super straight and like if, if he's angry or 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 uh, doing jokes or anything he's a very awesome character this one decided to follow him around after uh, a big loss and uh showing him go to a bar 
and uh, meeting up with some people and going to parties and getting texts from this this girl that he broke up with and trying to decide whether or not he wants to go back with her or not. But he's sitting there. He gets into all this intrigue during that. Now, just like what we were talking with Fly, this episode is not, according to the IMDb, uh, not beloved by people who love Ted Lasso. It doesn't look like, uh, I think it's got a 6.9 or something, which is, it sounds decent, but when, when a show gets into the point where it's won Emmys and, and people generally love it and everything, uh, nearly every episode generally gets in the high sevens, if not the low eights on the IMDb. So when one is like this, where it's at 6.9, I think, um, uh, it's, it's interesting. And I, and I, and it must come, it must come down to the fact that you don't see all the characters, you don't see the story developing. Like you, the thing about bottle episodes is that you're following this thread of a story for so long. And they usually hit those bottle ones right, right there, like towards the end somewhere. And it's like, shit, we were just getting into uh, yeah, this yeah, part. Yeah. I think that's what people get upset about is that, it doesn't continue the story. And, you know, there are a lot of characters on Ted Lasso that you want to see, you want to see them, uh, every week. And if they're not there or they're not there very much, then people, I think kind of get upset. But, uh, I think this episode over time, people will, will, will come around on it. So I feel like bottle episodes are better than clips episodes that we used to get of every <laughs> yeah sitcom. oh my god those were so bad and i would rather watch the fly than an episode where jesse and walt are having beers and one of them goes you remember that first time we cooked in the in the in the rv out in the desert mm-hmm. that was crazy and then it cuts for seven minutes and right. shows a snippet of that <laughs> like fuck yeah. that noise it's the same ploy the production company's saving money um but you know, I'd, I'll take a bottle episode over a clip show any day of the week. <clears throat> oh my god, those clip shows were the worst. Um, <laughs> the Simpsons would joke about it every year. Like, do they do one? <laughs> I think they did one for six or seven seasons or something like that, and they'd always try to dress it up with this. You know, like there'd be a tiny bit of a story, and then everybody would gather around the couch and then start talking about. <laughs> previous stuff so i think the that maybe i don't the i can't remember which episode was the last one might have been that 138th episode spectacular may have been the last time they did that so (laughs) all right everybody it's time to talk about poshmark poshmark p-o-s-h-m-a-r-k that's Mm -hmm. right baby we all need new stuff all right folks and and we also have to get rid of old stuff Mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. i mean this is the circle of life as they say in the lion king mm-hmm. poshmark is a marketplace an online marketplace market where you can sell your slightly worn stuff that would be of use to other people and mm-hmm. you can buy new and slightly worn stuff from other people and this is not like your your standard hand-me-downs and stuff like that this is for real this is like free people this is like j crew this is like victoria's secret that's right i said it uh Mm -hmm. this is Mm -hmm. stuff like like uh like fenty the rihanna thing right uh this is and 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 by the way it ain't just clothes it's accessories Mm -hmm. yeah uh Mm -hmm. it's it's my wife has her eyeballs fixated on louis vuitton stuff 
Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. There's Fendi bracelets. There's coach leather wallets. There's all kinds of stuff on Poshmark. Poshmark is where you want to go to get your closet curated, a curated uh-huh. closet uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. through Poshmark. And you will be a new person dressed beautifully and accessorized beautifully up to up to 70% off Whoa. regular retail price. 70%. 70%. Guys, guys, what are we doing here? Yeah. Um, um, movie fans, I will appeal to you directly. Uh, you remember the, the era of physical media? There were these stores and strip malls mm-hmm. where you could take your used CDs and DVDs that you didn't watch anymore, and they would flip through a catalog and um, tell you what they were worth, and then you could get store credit, and then you mm-hmm. could go flip through all the other nice used, gently loved uh, physical media and take home new movies without having to pay $25 for a brand new DVD for each of them, right? Okay, so those days are dead, but they live on in fashion That's right. with Poshmark. That's right. Poshmark is like one of those stores to the 10th power uh, because it, it, it covers way more than just, you know, one tiny little geographic area. So I saw some golf stuff on there. Mm. You can never have too many. If you play golf, you can never have too many golf shirts. Um, and so I've got my eye on a couple of golf shirts, Poshmark. Uh, but like, like Barrett said, hats, accessories, um, it really is a huge marketplace. Mm-hmm. It is, man. You can either go to Poshmark.com uh, on the World Wide Web, <laughs> or you can you can download the app, and that's where you want to do your business, right? You got your phone on you at all times, you know, when you're indisposed, when when you're when you're watching a ball game, commercial comes on, you look down at your phone, hit that Poshmark app, right? And here's what you do: you enter the invite code Sincast Posh Sincast. P-O-S-H, get $10 off. Now, that's on top mm-hmm. of the crazy savings that you get. And I'm not like Mattress King where I'm like, oh, I'm the I'm the whiz. Uh, there's nobody <laughs> like me. No, no. This is 70 up to 70% off of regular prices. Then, using Syncast Posh, you get an extra 10 bucks off. When do you use that as a promo slash invite code? Let's let's all come together and let's make this happen, folks. Let's mobilize. What are, what are you what are you what are you waiting for? Just do that. You download the app, Syncast Posh, ten bucks, boom, just materializes. Mm-hmm. And everybody could use an extra ten bucks. I'd like ten bucks in my pocket right now. How about them apples? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. go do it. Poshmark app, Syncast Posh. All right, next one. What is your favorite director-composer partnership other than Steven Spielberg and John Williams? Can't really. That's that's at the Mount Rushmore right there that they gave us. Um, I have Hitchcock and Bernard Herrmann down here. Ooh, can't um, miss. Can't yeah. miss. Uh, Bernard Herrmann, obviously, a lot of great uh, music. Uh, Spike Lee and Terrence Blanchard is another Ooh, one. Interesting. Um, I think it was after do the right thing. Spike Lee went to Terrence Blanchard and, and there's something you, you may, I I don't know. You may not think about the music too much in Spike Lee movies, but it's very good. It's very dramatic. It's very, and, and uh, you know, he's been Terrence Blanchard has been with him since I believe 1990. So every movie since every movie since has had him. Um, He's good. Uh, So he was there with inside man and that's fantastic. 
yeah, yeah. and Malcolm X and uh, yeah I mean the music and the and uh, yeah uh, Black Klansman's got mm-hmm. got a good score hell to yeah. it hell yeah um so uh and uh yeah and uh, defy bloods has great has great music mm. so yeah those that's a that's another one i don't think it gets as much play it's unmistakable though when you hear his music that it's that guy mm-hmm. uh because he has a very dramatic flair and especially when spike lee's going through all of his like uh, montage type stuff and spike everything. Lee-isms. yeah that, yeah. that score under the uh when uh they're at the seminar uh in black klansman is mm-hmm. definitely dramatic and you see all those different faces come up yeah that's a that's a good call yeah yeah absolutely um i got two um my boy michael Giacchino. yeah <laughs> if only you found out how to pronounce his name i bet i'll just keep messing it up on purpose for all the time i'm okay with that um and uh, brad bird who yeah. have uh, most prominently for me uh, worked together on The Incredibles and Ratatouille, um, both A-plus movies with really memorable scores. I bought The Incredibles score on CD in whatever the year that was, 2004. Yeah. What the fuck was I thinking? Um, <laughs> uh, but they he also did Tomorrowland. Um, they worked on that together. And I think Chikino did the score for Ghost Protocol. Yeah, he did. Um, so oh, they've worked together awesome. several times. And Chikino's awesome at whatever he does. I think it's Giacchino. Yeah. Um, and we just heard on Twitter a couple of days ago a snippet of his Batman theme that sounded so rad. Uh, I'm fascinated by people who can create themes out of complex melodies as well as simple ones. Because, like, the incredible stuff is like, that's complicated, man. And and this Batman theme is like, but it gives me chills. Uh, My other one, my sneaky pick, my back pocket pull is Phil Alden Robertson and uh, James Horner. Uh, The director made Field of Dreams and Sneakers, and James Horner scored both of them. They both have fantastic James Hornerisms where the piano goes after some <laughs> uh, mesmerizing reveal. Uh, two of my very favorite movies. And, and uh, I don't think they've ever worked together again outside those two movies, but uh, they made magic. Uh, Jimmy Horner, man, he worked. You could you could associate him with Ron Howard, obviously, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and with uh, with James Cameron. Yeah. Uh, you know, some of his best stuff. It's interesting you went with uh, Phil Alden Robinson, which is a great pick. But uh, but yeah, I mean you can't think about James Horner and to me and not think about the Titanic theme <clears throat> or uh, or the Apollo thirteen slash sneakers music that uh, that uh, you know goes into all that stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's uh, that that dude was a legend. Uh, James Horner was so uh, uh, prolific in the nineties that. You know, it, it you you would it was easy to pick out what a Horner score was as soon as you heard it, and I rem- I'll never forget this. Watching a Beautiful Mind, the very first note when it was on the Universal logo, I was like, "That's James Horner." <laughs> wow. Um, this is hard to remember, but back in the 90s late 80s early 90s tim burton and danny elfman were mm. fire mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Tim Burton did not direct the Nightmare Before Christmas, but he directed the Nightmare Before Christmas. All right. <laughs> uh-huh. And Danny Elfman not only did the music for that, but he provided Jack Skellington's singing voice. Uh, What's this? <laughs> <laughs> some of the best melodies of any musical. And you cannot watch or think about, if you're at a certain age, you cannot think about Batman uh, without thinking of. Da, 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 da. Which is a Danny Elfman score to a Tim Burton movie from 1989. Uh, he was with him through uh, Edward Scissorhands. I believe he did the music for Ed Wood. I, there's uh, one he didn't because they had a falling out, and I think it may be Ed Wood actually that they oh, didn't, really? that he didn't do the music <laughs> sure. for. That sure may have right. been that. It ended up being somebody big though. Um, it's kind of weird. They had a falling out, and then I think he does Mars Attacks like a year later or something, two years later. Well, you um, can see both of them being mercurial, you know. Yeah. Where's the guy? Music by Howard Shore. Howard Shore. There's man. another one, by the way, that if you're if you're paying attention, you can pick out a Howard Shore score pretty. For sure. Pretty yeah. James mm-hmm. Newton Howard is another one that. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, Danny Elfman and uh, and uh, Tim Burton back in their heyday was just absolutely marvelous. Uh, mm-hmm. I absolutely loved it. Uh, big top peewee or uh peewee's yeah. big adventure was another one. Uh, that, big that top I can... <laughs> well, I think, I think he did both of them. Uh, I think Danny Elfman did both of them. He may uh, have. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, 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 I love that collaboration. The other one that cannot be overlooked is Carter Burwell and the Coen brothers. Oh um, my God. So mm-hmm. awesome. Carter Burwell. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not going to stick my foot in my mouth anymore. He has done most, if not all of the recent uh, Coen brothers films, like Mm -hmm. from way back to probably before Fargo. Um, And yeah, uh, I can't remember where it started. I know Miller's crossing, I believe is a Carter Burwell. Um, And uh, he's more understated than these things. Uh, You know, you, 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 I would know it if I heard it. Like, I would probably be able to say, like, oh, that's the score from The Man Who Wasn't There. That's the score from Fargo. That's the score from, obviously, Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Um, you know, that that kind of thing. But uh, that's the score from uh, No Country for wow. Old Men. He's been there since Blood Simple. Wow. wow. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, but he's more understated. Like, he's not bombastic like Hans Zimmer or even Danny Elfman. Uh, he is, he's more subtle, but it, it works. It perfectly complements the film. It's like having a little, like, uh, acidic, like pickled red onion on top of a, <laughs> uh, a taco, <laughs> like a really rich beef taco or something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. he compliments it perfectly. And, uh, I think he's, he's underrated. I think he's been nominated, if not won a few Academy Awards. Uh, but I think he's, he's also been nominated underrated. twice. Yeah. Mm. So uh, that's a great collaboration, apparently. You know, but, the Coen brothers, man, the Coen brothers are loyal. You can't say that they're not loyal to their their collaborators. They uh, they stick with their their folks. It could, he, I mean, it, it might flow the other way. It might be that true. the actors and composers are loyal to the Coens. Uh, Francis McDormand married one of them. He sure. has not been nominated for anything the Coen brothers have done. Oh, the fact that the fact that he's only been nominated twice is kind of this is like the cinematography thing all over again right roger deakins and all that same same sort of deal 
Although Deacon's got nominated a bunch. Uh, this guy twice, and he's done some um, incredibly beautiful music, but he's gotten nominated for Carol and three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Jesus Christ. So that's a, I ain't, that's I ain't a, ever going to watch that three billboards movie again, by the way. Speaking of Francis, because, speaking because of that. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Wait, he did the score for that? Mm hmm. I wonder if Francis McDormand's connection there is. Oh, could be. Maybe so. Maybe so. There's some directors that just like, you know, you were talking to George. Uh, who was the guy, Chris? Gallo. George Gallo, uh, who uh, he called up. What was it? Uh, was it Morgan Freeman? And was just mm-hmm. like, you know, I've got a relationship to where if I call him, he's like, yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. I was looking at Neil Jordan uh, the other day, the director. Yeah. Uh, and Stephen Ray has been in like almost every one of his movies, yeah. starting with oh, The Crying yeah. Game or Around the Crying Game. Uh, yeah. and, and they're both Irish. Uh, mm-hmm. But like, you get a sense that like anytime he's like, Stephen, come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he's like, okay, I'm good. I just, it, I think it's funny just talking to somebody who's like got Morgan Freeman on speed dial and just can get him in any movie. I mean, they, they've been, they've done four movies or something together. It's kind of <laughs> crazy. I mean, if you've got a good relationship, if, if yeah, when I should say, when one of you or both of you go on to become, you know, famous directors or whatever, I feel like you could call me if you needed something written or something like that. And I'd mm-hmm. immediately yeah. be like, I don't think right. Tom Cruise is ever going to be in a movie that's not directed by McQuarrie or Joseph Kaczynski. I Those mean, motherfuckers point, are attached at the hip now, especially mm-hmm. him and McQuarrie, man. Yeah, mm-hmm. they made, well, they've made four movies together. Right, two Jack Reachers. Although Macquarie, no, he didn't do the the second one. one. He didn't do the second one. They made two Ghosts or two Mission Impossible movies so far. Well, and and that's after changing directors every single chapter. Yeah, and then he went back to Macquarie. Cruz made that Oblivion movie with Kaczynski, and I'm sure that's why they're both involved in the Top Gun Maverick. I think it, I mean certainly if anyone in Hollywood has earned the right to say I'm only going to work with these people it's Tom Cruise probably mm-hmm. um, but yeah I think that happens all over Hollywood I know James Gunn has had Nathan Fillion in every one of his movies yep. uh, <laughs> as well as one of his brothers and somebody else has been in almost every one and Brian Johnson has had uh, uh, Michael Joseph Rooker might have even been in everything that James Gunn's done as well it is Michael Rooker it is Michael yeah. Rooker mm-hmm. yeah I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next one here. Uh, oh, I can't wait to do this. I've been, I've been sitting on this for so long. It feels like it's crawled up my ass. Mm, mm. What movie lines are made memorable by the actor's accent? This person's mm. example would be "Clever Girl" from mm. Jurassic Park. I did not do that justice, but uh, that is a an indelible line that certainly is accented. By the accent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeremy, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, I'll kick you off. All right. So my first one is one I've mentioned before on this here podcast, and it's it's odd. Um, okay. The question says memorable, not funny. So I can go with that. Uh, but <clears throat> we're introduced to Ray Fine's character in Schindler's List when he's riding in the back of a fancy um, <clears throat> convertible. And they're showing him all of these workers they have lined along the road who are um, uh, concentration camp uh, prisoners. And they're basically just saying, you know, 
does this look good to you? What do you, you know, what do you think? And do you have any questions? And he goes, yeah, why well, is top down? I'm fucking freezing. <laughs> um, and uh, it's always stuck with me. I don't know why. And that whole portrayal is scary. Oh my God. He's frightening. It's like a horror movie. It really mm-hmm. is. Um, Brad Pitt in Inglorious Bastards saying Arrivederci. Um, <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. A lot of Brad people, that's, that's a divisive accent. I've heard people that hate his accent in that movie. I love it. He's well, supposed it's to supposed to be, to be bad. He's, mm-hmm. he's like, sound good? You know, he's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I want those scalps. I want them Nazi scalps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Killer <Gross>. Nazis. <laughs> yeah, uh, Nazis. My other one is... Uh, uh, Chekhov, uh, Walter Coing in Star Trek IV: The Voyage Home, um, because he and Uhura are trying to find the nuclear vessels. Mm-hmm. Where are the nuclear vessels? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We need to go to Alameda. That is where they keep the nuclear vessels. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, I, as a little kid, man, my mom was a Trek fan, uh, so I got to see most of the movies in the old show growing up. But well, the fourth one hit perfect for me. That was my favorite by a mile and a half. I think I was like. What year did that come out? 87? 88? Which movie? Four? No, Star Trek that came four. out in, in oh, 80... Star Trek 4 was 86, I think. Six. Yeah, so I was 11. Um, and probably by the time it came out of theaters, went to the video store, and then ended up at the library, I was probably 13 when I saw it. Um, <clears throat> but I loved it. It was always my favorite one. Did you mm-hmm. uh, have you watched any of the other 4K transfers from the the first four? Besides I put Wrath of Khan back in the second night to see if I was crazy, and man, I it's dark. You can call it crisp because there's there is more detail in the picture, but it's dark. It's dark yeah. as hell, and I don't remember the movie being that dark. Mm-hmm. And it's frustrating because it's one of my favorites. I'll put one of the others in and see if they did a better. I'd job. I'd like to see Voyage Home uh, in. Uh... Is it Voyage yeah. Home? Yeah, Voyage yeah. Home. I'd That's like to see Voyage Home uh, in that 4K. I bet that would, I That's bet that would pop. The yeah. same way I felt about the Goodfellas 4K that I bought because yeah. I oh, popped it in and I was just like, "This looks like you just kind of threw on the Blu-ray version or whatever, didn't do any kind of like sprucing up or anything, and you know, it still looks decent, but it's not, you know." It's not like, whoa, look at that. That's fucking amazing. Look at the detail and shit. It's not like that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and you know, I like all things. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it was just the one time that I popped it in. Maybe the sun was shining too much in my, in my living room. Well, I need um, to put the first one in just because that's terrible as that movie is. It's got good space porn. And mm-hmm. if that looks good in 4K, it might bode well for the other movies you but should, put, Khan, you should no. also put actual porn in there oh yeah 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 well yeah you can yeah, really see the veins i really that's what i want to see i want to yeah. see all the zits and veins mm-hmm. and track uh, marks cellulite mm-hmm. track marks yeah. jesus christ yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> fucked up <laughs> Cool at all. You know, oh, something you can man. put your red lobster bib on and dig in. Um, Ugh, red lobster. That's right. Back to red lobster. We are back to red lobster. Um, okay, so in Die Hard with a Vengeance, Jeremy Irons has this has this line that I've it just he just sinks his fucking teeth into, man. It's just one of those. So it's right after he's made the call and the big reveal that he's Hans Gruber's brother has happened. 
and uh he tells tells them that there's a bomb in the school and all the cops just drive off and everything so that he can go and rob uh the uh the, the federal reserve he's up at the top of a, a roof or whatever and he's like they bought it <laughs> and then he's he, he shows all the cars driving around down there and it, then there's like sort of a shot where it's following him walking on the roof and he's like hook line <laughs> and sinker <laughs> and, uh, and, and and he's looking at the Federal Reserve as he says this. And uh, it's just something that I, I, I it, it, Jeremy Irons voice is a fucking just it's a it's a wonder of the world, man. Yes, it what is. is uh, what is his accent in that? Is it European? He's not going for British like uh, uh, like Alan Rickman did, even though he's supposed to be German. Yeah, it's, it's honestly, like vaguely European, right? It's not totally German. It's not totally British. Yeah, I don't think he's. I think he's. It's his normal voice, actually. Uh, Is that right? Yeah, I don't think he's trying anything there at all. I see. Um, uh, I think when he's on the phone and he's doing the Simon Says stuff, which I believe is what the movie was called before it was a <laughs> diehard. Uh. Uh, you know, I think he's trying to kind of do something there maybe. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but once it, once the cat's out of the bag, he's, he's just, uh, he's Jeremy Irons. Yeah. I mean, he might be doing, <laughs> he might be doing something different, uh, but I don't, I don't know what it is. I don't think anybody knows what that's supposed to be. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then another one is uh, Rob Morrow and Quiz Show. You can't talk about accents without Rob Morrow and Quiz Show, but mm-hmm. but that scene with him and Ray Fines, who Ray Fines popping up again, friend of the show. Um, right. uh, don't treat me like I'm some member of your goddamn fan club. You're telling me that everybody <laughs> got the answers, but you uh, is one of my favorite all time lines, especially because of how Morrow s- says it in that awful Boston accent. And, uh, and we've talked about this before that movie is not what it is without the terrible Boston accent. If he, yeah. if he doesn't have it, then it's not the same quiz show. I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. Oh, I like, yeah, there's, there's a million accents that I, I quote all the time. One of the things is from, uh, 1985's clue. By the way, I played mm-hmm. the Clue board game with my family the other day. Uh, com- completely forgot the rules. How do you forget the rules? <laughs> well, and everybody Clue? does. Everybody has uh, the idea of what the rules are supposed to be when they pull out, out a board one. game for yeah. twenty after 20 years. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, I think when you pass go, uh, you don't collect $200 in this instance. And, you know, and- <laughs> there's, there's a bevy of great accents in this, in this movie from Wadsworth, Tim Curry's character. Eileen Brennan has a great one with Mrs. Peacock, very mid-Atlantic, almost uh, continental type of thing. Uh, and uh, and then Yvette, Colleen Camp's uh, French-made accent mm-hmm. is, just, is just pure delight uh, to me. Uh, so they, they end up splitting up, uh, you know, uh, at, at Colonel Mustard's uh, suggestion and Wadsworth, they draw straws and everything. Mr. Green, who's a homosexual, uh, mm. In the movie, it, Michael McKeon's character is paired with Colleen Camp uh, and a vet, and they're they're going up to the attic to investigate where the killer is, and they stop at the bottom of the stairs, and that's it. And uh, he just looks up, and Michael McKeon is so great in this. And Colleen Camp looks at him, he's like, "Go on, I'll be right behind you," and uh, <laughs> and he's like, "That's what I'm scared of." And then eventually they go back and forth. And it's like, uh, he's like, well, 
I can't follow you and you can't follow me. And she's like, then we go to Gezia. <laughs> <laughs> I use that all the time. Anytime my <laughs> wife is like, uh, all right, why don't you get in the car? I'm like, we go to Gezia. <laughs> I love the fact that. <laughs> I just love the fact that the fuck it is it's the 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 victim is called Mr. Body. I just Mr. Love Body. Mr. So Body's much. body. It's gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy, I can't believe you don't love this movie uh unquestionably. Like this is this is seems like it's right up your alley. Uh I think the problem is I don't know which movie you're talking about. Clue? Clue. There you go. <clears throat> Is this um, another one where I didn't say it at the beginning? No, you, you it, said it. You did, because we were talking about forgetting the rules to play Clue. Uh, I've never seen it. I, I think you should give it a shot. Uh, Do you get to choose your ending? Do they randomize it or what? Because aren't there multiple endings to this film? This is something from a 1985 movie that I will not spoil for you. I want you to watch it, <laughs> and you can see oh. how it turns out. Oh. Uh, right. But it is, it's Knives Out, but more hilarious uh, and with an indelible performance by just about everybody. Martin Mull, Michael McKeon, Tim Curry, uh, Colleen Camp, uh, fucking Scarlett. Who is Miss Scarlett? Um, oh, Madeline Kahn? No, Madeline Kahn is Mrs. White. Uh, uh, Leslie Ann Warren. Leslie Ann Warren. Who, uh, who, by the way, I saw in a Columbo episode just yesterday. Oh, wow. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Leslie Ann Warren, man. Um. Yeah, I think Jeremy would like Clue, especially since they're the farcical element to it and everything. And, and uh, you know, it's like it's like as if Frasier were to do a murder mystery or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. dynamite. Yeah. Boy, I hope you watch this and I, I, I hope you enjoy it, but I hope you watch it. Uh, of all mm-hmm. the recommendations that I've made to you over the years, I, I, I would love for you to watch this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of accents, though, you cannot have a uh, discussion about accents without talking about John Malkovich and mm. rounders. Yep. <clears throat> One of the most over the top uh, Russian accents that you will ever hear. Uh, as Chris said fairly recently, he was like, how do you, even if it's over the top, even if it's horrible, how do you not remember this performance because of this accent? You know, Teddy KGB is a memorable character, but he wouldn't be half as memorable without that fucking accent you mm-hmm. know when when damon walks in there at the end and he's like so you have my money mm-hmm. and you're like whoa mm-hmm. uh, i mean you've, you've heard it before but you almost forget about it and then you know after he just gets pissed off because of that run at the end and that crazy last hand and everything those could not have helped you mm-hmm. that, that, what was it the two of spades or something like that that could mm-hmm. not have helped you Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, after he shows him the nuts, uh, he's like, you know, uh, grandma gets all pissed off and everything. And he's like, no, nah, pay him, pay that man. his money. Mm-hmm. man, man, it, it's, it's a warm, tickly place in my heart. There's a, <laughs> there's a line just like anything, right? Like, uh, John Malkovich went, went with an accent and said, I'm doing this. Whereas the ones that we don't like, the ones that are annoying and get you know, and, and great on us are the ones where it looks like they're really trying and they just can't get it. Yeah. Or the ones where they try and then they kind of give up like canoe and devil's advocate, mm-hmm. like, uh, yeah. like Brad 
Brad Pitt in Devil's Own. <laughs> I can't decide if he gives up halfway through, but but mm. I feel like he's uh, he trying that money down. I think he puts the pedal to the metal halfway through, man. Mm-hmm. That movie, <laughs> right. that movie is entertaining. <laughs> if you watch it as a comedy, first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that movie's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I haven't what seen happens it in when forever. a cop is forced to have an IRA member living in his basement? Mm-hmm. That movie is bad. Yeah, I didn't like it. God, I, I, I just remember hating his accent, but like. It's like far and away. I don't think is a terrible movie, but I just couldn't get past even at that point in my life. I couldn't get past Tom Cruise's Irish accent. Like I, yeah, it, it's it, bad. It's just it's just so bad. Mm-hmm. I just can't. I, I, I can't. I can't. Yeah. Let's uh, let's uh, let's go. Speaking of Tom Cruise, speaking mm-hmm. of, after recently watching a few good men, after having it on my to watch list for a long time, I couldn't help but really love Tom Cruise in the movie. Yeah. It, made me, it made me go from liking him in movies to loving him in movies. Mm-hmm. So the question mm-hmm. is, what movie made you go from liking an actor to loving an actor? Mm. Uh, this has happened a lot recently, especially with females uh, out in the world. The um, uh, Amanda Seyfried and Mank. Uh, oh yeah sold me i mean first reformed was a good prep for it and then and then mank was uh was was like oh my god she's like actually really good she uh is. natalie portman in black swan uh is that i that was the first time i really thought that natalie portman was like a true actor um i had, i've said this before i I think a lot of the movies before this, she was fine in whatever she was in. It wasn't, she wasn't bad. She didn't stick out like a sore thumb or anything, but black Swan uh, is where I feel like she's really uh, going balls, the wall acting in that movie. Uh, Scarlett Johansson. I'm sorry. Did she get nominated? She won. She won for black Swan. She won for black Swan. That's her only win at this point. I think so. But she's been nominated maybe three or four times. Oh, for Jackie probably was up. Jackie was one. Um, but yeah, Scarlett Johansson for Jojo rabbit, obviously marriage story came the same year. And this was the, you know, uh, you know, I've always thought Scarlett Johansson was all right. I mean, I thought lost in translation was her best, uh, work until this came out. Uh, because everything since then was kind of either you know it's just a romantic comedy or something like that, or um, or you know she was in all these Marvel movies where you don't really get a chance to to shine as an actor really. Um, and then uh, Regina King in If Beale Street Could Talk uh is one uh I always liked Regina King, but I didn't think she had like great projects to show her off at all. Uh, if Beale Street could talk, it was the first time I was like, holy shit, she's way better than I thought she was. And mm. ever since that movie came out, she's been in so many things where she's like getting all sorts of fucking accolades. Uh, so she's finally getting the projects that she deserves. And we've seen Regina King forever. Like, yeah. like, like all through the nineties, we saw her and stuff like Jerry Maguire as Cuba Gooding Jr.'s wife and blah, blah, blah. You go and back like and that. watch that shit and you're like, oh. Regina King. Mm. Oh, mm-hmm. Regina King. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Look at that. Regina King. Yeah. She was in a car commercial uh, in the Packers game the last night. I was like, oh, yeah, Regina King. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. yeah, so, I mean, you could argue 
There's a lot of great parts about Watchmen, the TV series. Mm-hmm. And it's rare that the leading character is the best part of a series. I think she mm-hmm. may be the best part. Uh, and, and there's a lot it's of great parts in that. Arguably, yeah. I mean, she does everything in that movie. Uh, mm-hmm. That movie, that series. It uh, feels like a movie. Uh, yeah. There's a lot to love about it, but she is the glue and the most interesting character arc, I think. Especially mm-hmm. at the end. Yeah. Great mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. It's my turn. Yep. You're about due for another Watchmen rewatch there, uh, Jeremy. I really am. <laughs> um, you know, they're talking about doing another season. Um, and Dicer and I are both kind of bummed about that. Yeah, I thought they swore but, that off. Um, okay, so my first answer to this question was Leonardo DiCaprio in Blood Diamond. Oh, now, yeah. nice one. Nice one. Blood Diamond came out the same year as The Departed. I did not see The Departed until after I had seen Blood Diamond. Um, this is an interesting time in his career as I look at his IMDb because, you know, of course, when he started out, he was a kid, so he got a lot of kid roles. But as he grew up, even when he was a young adult, a lot of the roles he was being given were the impertinence of youth. But there's always mm-hmm. some kid aspect of him from Catch Me If You Can, which might be his best movie. Gangs of New York, he's still looked at as the kid. Mm-hmm. Um, the Beach, he's too young to realize you can't fucking swim out to an island and live forever like mm-hmm. a hippie. Um, <laughs> and... I was on this plane, it was 2008, and I was headed to a conference in Seattle, and that's a long flight. That's like a five-hour flight, Mm -hmm. and so I was like, fuck it, I'm going to watch some movies. I had a buddy at the time who was slipping me DVDs every now and then that he'd gotten off torrents, and Blood Diamond was one of them, and uh, so I popped it in. I didn't know anything about this movie except that leo was in it and man right out of the gate he looks like a man i don't want to take i don't want to say this wrong but there's no more baby fat on this kid he's beefed up he looks like he has life experience he's doing an accent and doing it well speaking of accents but then by the end his character has that george clooney and three kings arc where he goes from this selfish rogue just trying to get the diamond for himself to literally sacrificing himself to save this guy that he's been traveling with and his kid. Um, And that was the first time I ever thought, holy shit, he's an actor. Uh, Up until then, I thought he was just a movie star. Um, And I think in, for the sake of this conversation there, there is a difference. Uh, You know, I think Hugh Jackman is a movie star. I think Denzel Washington is an actor. If that makes any sense, that's where I'm drawing the line. Jackman is a fine enough actor. Uh, But there are people who like, Daniel Day-Lewis, every time out, you're just like, God, that's that's amazing work. This is absolutely correct. This is the right, this is the right answer <laughs> to this question. Um, the, the, I, I, to the longest time, I couldn't buy DiCaprio and some of his more grown-up roles up mm. until this point when this and The Departed came out because – He's, he had been doing like exactly what you were talking about. You know, we knew him from Titanic and, you know, he was what he, what's eating Gilbert grape and all this. And, and, uh, and then when he's supposed to do his first big adult role, which is gangs in New York, I was like, I don't know if I buy him as this Mm. gritty fucking back in the day guy. Um, and, uh, and it took a while and yeah, he finally sort of got, he, 
I used to think DiCaprio didn't age, but it was right around this time where there's a difference where you start seeing the difference and everything. So yeah, I absolutely agree with us. Awesome. Uh, the other one I'll name is Ben Foster in 310 mm. in Yuma. Mm. Um, oh, ben that Foster was the one, had, not Alpha Dog? Not Alpha. Well, I didn't see Alpha Dog until after I'd seen 310 to Yuma. Oh. Um, if I'd seen Alpha Dog first, then hell yes, that would have done it. Uh, mm. But prior to that, I knew him from like whatever it takes or get <laughs> over it. That rom-com with Kirsten Dunst. And, oh, um, God. He's oh. like the lead. He's like the male lead who's too nervous to talk to the girl. Oh, my God. Um, I don't remember this at all. Oh, uh, well, it was in our Hollywood days. Um, I have see. a mirror I still use in the shower was it, that was, says whatever Oh, get over it. Get over <laughs> it. I just, Hold I used on, to take you have a mirror things. that you look at every day, and you still don't know what the title of that movie is. One of the things, what I, I get get over it and whatever it takes, absolutely confused. They came out around the same time. They have the same cast. Wow. I'm sorry. Yeah, pretty much. Because Colin Hanks was talking about like how he uh, uh, was trying to make it in in uh, movies, obviously without his dad, uh, you know, lording over him and everything, and it was. And he's like, he's like, so yeah, when you first see some of my movie credits, it's like, whatever it takes, all those type of movies, you know, that's got the exclamation point at the end of it. But yeah, good God, Zoe Saldana's in this movie, Mila Kunis is in this movie. There's a lot of people in this movie. Yeah. Are you looking at Get Over It? Yeah, Get Over It. Yeah, that's got vitamin C in it as well. Um, oh, yeah. The, the singer, the graduation as song. We go. Yeah, that's her. Uh, anyway, Ben Foster somehow steals a movie that stars Russell Crowe and Christian Bale in 310 to Yuma. Um, he and steals Alpha Dog too, man. He with does, like everybody in it. He does, but Christian Bale and Russell Crowe are, they're both awesome in 310 to Yuma. And part of it is the character that Foster is given is the more flamboyant, over-the-top character, whereas Crowe and Bale are both, you know, world weary seasoned quiet talkers uh but ben foster's fucking electric in that movie mm -hmm. and um yeah everything i've seen him in since that's i saw alpha dog after that then of course hell or high water um but he's he's an outstanding actor and i just hadn't seen it prior to that movie you need to watch leave no trace i haven't i haven't seen that but i hear amazing <laughs> things about it uh it seems like it's Shark right up your alley movie. I haven't seen it, but it's I heard it. it's like a nature based movie, uh, like character study. Uh, with oh, him he's and... in this. Him and his daughter. Yeah, yeah I yeah. actually accidentally saw something else. I was looking for this movie. Hang on, because it had Ben Foster in it, and I accidentally watched whatever an entirely takes. different Ben Foster movie, uh, Galveston. It came out the same year mm. uh, and didn't enjoy it. I was like, what's everybody talking about? But I, I watched the wrong movie. You watched the watch wrong this. Ben Foster movie. Uh, mine is, uh, the first one is Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, mm. I appreciate Jennifer Lawrence on many different levels. Um, I was never a huge fan of um, the uh, Silver Linings playbook. I don't mm. know Me neither. I'm, I, really? I, know, yeah. I, I thought I was on an island because... That movie is almost universally beloved, and it's certainly not bad. Good direction, good pacing, good performances, uh, but it just didn't connect with me. 
at all. And I don't not like David O. Russell. It just it just yeah. kind of missed me. Yeah. Um, so I, I I saw Winter's Bone. She's fantastic in that. She's great in Hunger Games, but the Hunger Games are what they are, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. American Hustle and all that stuff. Of course, Passengers came out, and that was fun. Uh, but I didn't love her until I saw Mother. Mother! Uh, Darren mother. Aronofsky's Mother. That is one of the most singular movies and singular performances I have ever seen in film. Uh, mm-hmm. It 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 has a narrative, but it also has analogous stuff and metaphorical stuff that you can throw in there. There's so many different layers to that movie, and it seems like she is our vessel into understanding that movie. And from where she goes from the beginning all the way to the very, very end of that movie is what I would call maybe a perfect character arc. And she's not all gussied up like she is in Passengers. Uh, or she's glamorous. She's a beautiful, beautiful lady. Uh, but she tones that down in Mother, and it is a glorious performance. Uh, and I went from liking to loving her uh, mm-hmm. in that movie. The other, uh, the other one is Riz Ahmed. Uh, oh, yeah. And uh, that's the sound of metal that I fell absolutely in love with him. Now, he was great in Nightcrawler. Uh, he poor thing didn't have anything to do in Venom. Uh, he had been in quite a few other things. I, was he in Rogue One? Uh, mm-hmm. I forget which Star Wars he was in. I think it was Rogue One. Uh, he was fine yeah, in that. that I know a was. lot of people jack to Rogue One all the time. I am not a jacker of Rogue One. It's uh, it's regularly put in the top three now of Star Wars movies. I've watched it now three times. It's perfectly fine. I am not going to be fondling my niblets for it. Not hard to crack the top three in Star Wars, is it? Nope. After the first two, <laughs> that's something go. we could have done. That's something that we could have done for that other question. Is go back to 1993 and say, okay, you're going to get nine more live action Star Wars movies. <laughs> but no one's going to be able to agree on if any of them are good. Yeah, exactly. So, oh exactly. my god, I've been planning a uh, Last Jedi uh, rewatch. By the way, I, I, oh, have fun with that. I can't. Mm-hmm. I can't decide if it's under. <laughs> you got to do some holdo maneuvers. Right. Do some real damage. But uh, you watch Sound of Metal, and Jeremy, I understand you still haven't watched this yet, right? Right. Yeah, and I I totally understand why. But man, this guy's performance is absolutely mind-blowing you know he is peaceful at one point he's funny at some points he's loving at some points he's horrifically angry at some points he's altruistic at some point the guy gives a performance of a lifetime in this movie uh and finally i think he's given a, a vessel to really um show off his gifts uh and he kills it man you know what's great about that movie is that when you now go back to watch anything else he's in it becomes better yeah. suddenly yeah like in nightcrawler he i mean I, I i liked him in nightcrawler but now that uh you know i don't know it's something about after having seen this i was like all right uh I'm, he, I'm noticing him more yeah he's marginalized in that movie for a point his character is marginalized so you mm-hmm. kind of associate that with the actor but yeah no he's great you know, and and he kind of becomes such an accomplice and such a enabler 
uh, mm-hmm. that you start to see more of an arc in this character. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember the 21st a sin, day of September? A sin from Fast and Furious 6 where some white dude in a suit's face is on screen and the sin is this man's face goes way too unpunched for me. <laughs> I think so. That actor has just tweeted, my son just introduced me to Cinema Sins on YouTube. It's hilarious. He then told me there's one on Fast and Furious 6. Oh, brilliant, I thought. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Oh, and then he screen caps that sin of me saying his face is not punched. But he also just followed us on Twitter, so I think he's laughing. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that is hilarious. Isn't it amazing like how we get these people who are like they're not huge stars or anything like that, but they they see us and they just love this sh- like, like like the we kid had that- from the accountant. <laughs> yeah, the kid from the accountant, the 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 extra in uh, the Halloween movie that came out. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Because uh, uh, we had a sin about one of the thing that he said in his in his like brief period of time that he was on it, and he suddenly tweeted out and everything. That's always amazing to me. It's so fun. Yep. I like this one a lot. Uh, I love your podcast, and I cannot get through my commute without listening. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, I was wondering if you guys could think of any instances where slow motion mm. is actually used in a good way and helps the scene. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not Amy Adams walking out of a coffee shop in Zack Snyder's Justice League with two cups of coffee. That's not it. That's my favorite part of that movie. <laughs> well, <I> mean, uh, <laughs> her hair is blowing in the wind. Um, speaking of Zack Snyder... Before before this became a thing with him, I actually liked it in three hundred. Um, uh, the you know, and I, I liked I liked how and it it really helped that trailer too. Before the you know that trailer, what sold everybody on three hundred uh, before it came out. But uh, uh, I, I kind of liked it in that. I think because the movie is being told from the future basically and and there's this narration over it and everything there's something about that slow motion that works really well with uh with all that um and then uh one of the this is a ridiculous movie and it's not good but i i laughed my ass off and i nearly fell down on the uh, floor laughing uh during escape from la during the uh kurt russell basketball scene where he's got uh he's got like i don't know a minute he has to run back and forth between two ends of a basketball court and put in like five baskets i can't remember what it is and uh he's gotten his fourth one and he's only got like three seconds left or something and he throws this like full court heave to get into the to the bat and and it's like a it's a slow motion thing it's a slow motion he throws it and it's like and of course it goes straight down in the basket and everything the most insane bullshit ever i was like i was just doubled over laughing when i saw that i'll uh, i'll I'll see your basketball scene and i'll raise you one more how nice the uh in the cable guy Ah, uh, yeah. when there's you know they're, they're playing and it's prison rules and he's doing all the the crazy <laughs> stuff and uh this is jim carrey of course but then like at the very end it, you know he's like Stever, pass me the rock <laughs> and he gets matthew broder gets it to him right through these up uh, outstretched hands and he's like mm-hmm. and then jim carrey does this <sighs> 
<laughs> and he dribbles once, and you see Jack Black go, and bends over. The best part of this, so he uses Jack Black to jump up and to slam dunk, and he breaks the backboard. But the best part of this whole thing is when it cuts to a shot of Jim Carrey, and he's just like, <laughs> still on the rim. Yeah. <laughs> He's this, just screaming like this is the greatest moment of his life. And it's playing uh filters uh Hey Man Nice, hey nice Shot during it. The uh the the um I love that scene a lot too. Um but uh from what I understand, Jim Carrey didn't know how to dribble a basketball. Right? <laughs> they had they had the special effects the dribbling the basketball in that scene, but <laughs> But uh, yeah, I love that too. That oh slow, that slow motion does make it better because if it was fast, it would it wouldn't have the same effect at all. When he screams like a visceral scream, oh my god! And and that's back in 1996 when like every basketball player between like Big Country and Shaquille O'Neal and like all mm-hmm. these guys were breaking the shit out of backboards. Yeah. And so when it shatters. <laughs> <laughs> it's so gorgeous. I love it. The other one, yeah. I'll do one more. Uh, God, which one should I choose? I like Zombieland uh, as a movie, but that uh, that controversial scene where they destroy a Native American gift shop uh, mm. to uh, the Marriage of Figaro by uh, uh, Mozart. The what my favorite part of that is when you know, obviously, they're smashing the shit out of everything. But what they get perfect is that bead scene where every bead from a different color is set up in there and they just slow motion pull that shit over Jesse Eisenberg and Emma Stone mm-hmm. and all those beads just satisfying like cascade onto the floor so slowly. Mm-hmm. I think it's awesome. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. I'm going to go with, <clears throat> well, in the Lego movie, when Emmett first meets Wildstyle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Nice. And he's like, I said, if I saw anything weird, I would report it. So I'm going to have to report you. <laughs> she flings her hair and you get that little, <laughs> little music. And then he goes, um, doesn't it cut back to him? And it's still like, Ooh. yeah. Yeah, he's still doing it. <laughs> um, and the other one I wanted to bring up is in Office Space when they beat the fuck out of the copier. Yeah, um, it's awesome because it's got that high intensity song. Yeah, but ghetto juxtaposed boys. with the the slow motion of their violence somehow lets you feel their visceral rage at this machine mm. even more. Um, yeah, it's not all slow mo is bad. Just like mm. not all narration is bad. It's yeah. just an overused crutch. Okay. Yeah. Back, Back up, up in your ass with the resurrection. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot. It's a that's, harder than erection that shows no affection. They want to ban us on Capitol Hill. Cause it's time, <laughs> motherfuckers. Die, motherfuckers. Still. Uh, excellent restraint, Jeremy. I figured that you would immediately uh, get erect for the uh, train station scene in Untouchables. Oh, well, yes. And, and that has a number of excellent uses of slow motion. <laughs> The entirety of the Untouchables does. <laughs> okay, we. I mean, we didn't even get through all the questions. We still have questions. I think that's right. We shoveled uh, through some. We we yeah. did some digging. We we did some damage. No doubt. We we did some hold on maneuvers. Did some real damage. Um. <laughs> all right. Uh, 
keep going to uh syncast presented by cinema sense on facebook we're also on cinema sense twitter music video sense twitter uh discord and SoundCloud. uh that's going to do it for this week it's chris atkins and jeremy scott and barrett share we'll see you next time thanks for listening comment on our episodes on our soundcloud page check us out on youtube twitter facebook and reddit and be sure to visit cinemasends.com What'd you watch? Card counter. Ooh. So we're not doing a recommender warrant. What'd you, what'd you think? Uh, I, I, I liked it a lot. Uh, it's a lot like a lot of Paul Schrader movies where, oh, no. <laughs> huh? I said, Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where, you know, the thing that the person does, and I include taxi driver on this where, you know, even though it's yeah. Scorsese, the, what the person does is not what they are and what they're focused on. Um, and that's what the movie, the movie's not focused on that at all. I think even first reformed was kind of like that too, where, um, you know, a person is not their job. They're not, it's not, Mm. it's not what they, you know, they have other obsessions and. um, Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I never really thought about that. And Oscar Isaac is, is definitely a gambler, but he, that right off the bat, you know, that this movie isn't going to be about him gambling. Yeah, because he says, you know, he he caught he counts cards at blackjack. That's his big thing. And so, like, um, uh, he uh, he he only wins just enough so that the casinos won't get pissed off at him. Mm-hmm. So it's he, he can already tell that he's not a he's not like a. It's not like most gambling movies you're going to see where somebody's going to lose their whole life savings and they have to get it back somehow and. You know, but uh, Tiffany Haddish isn't very good, unfortunately. Oh, is that right? Yeah. It's such an odd role for her. I mean, do what you do, but it just seems different, very different. She does seem uncomfortable playing against what she would normally do in a movie. I bet she, I bet the whole time she was wishing she would like, just let me riff a little bit, but (laughs) it didn't work out that way for her. They, uh, get it on, right? They do, but it's not, there's no, I don't, you don't really see anything. No, uh, no little Oscar. No little Oscar. Um, the Fugees are going on tour. Mm. All of them? Yeah, they're reuniting for uh, the 25th anniversary of their album, The Score, and they're going to perform that album front to back as the concert. I bet, I bet Lauren Hill still looks amazing. Oh, man. I bet she does. <clears throat> I thought that would excite you, Barry. She's a part yeah. of this, too? Lauren Hill, Wycliffe Jean, and Praz Michael. Praz, yeah. 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 All three of them. Uh, That's a no, big deal, right? I, that's a big deal. Uh, I'm probably going to find a place where they're playing and go see that yeah i figured that would be up your alley i don't know why i thought that that is very good but yeah the score the score was such a weird album for me what'd you say 25th anniversary Mm -hmm. Ah, geez i would not have so that was 96 yeah definitely 1996
That's when the album came out. I, obviously, I I know the math. You, of the... you 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 liked Lauren Hill stuff away from the Fugees better, right? Yeah, I think the Miseducation of Lauren Hill is the greatest album, one of the greatest albums of the nineties, and that was ninety eight. But it was the Fugees that did the Killing Me Softly thing, right? Yeah, I uh, I wasn't into commercial hip hop. I was a fucking idiot. I wasn't into commercial hip hop at that point. I looped them in honestly with like Diddy or Puff Daddy at the, at the time, um, and all that stuff that that I wasn't real interested in. Um, and of course, I liked at that point. I liked Roberta Flack more than I liked Wyclef going in like one one time, <laughs> two times. <laughs> that was the biggest. I also hit. love. I yeah, of course. I also loved Wyclef's stuff. His solo stuff much better than I love the Fugees. Okay, mm-hmm. that's a short tour. You're going to have to go to Atlanta. We can do that. Uh, they're going to play New York, Chicago, Oakland, L.A., Atlanta, Miami, Newark, D.C., and then they go to fucking Europe and Africa. Hmm. So I should go to Africa to see that. That's right. I mean, that would be a hell of a trip, but. Atlanta is you, you could drive there. It's a lot closer. <laughs> <laughs> it's been done before. <laughs> it has. Uh, yeah, no, I think that would be because uh, they're still they're they're at the very edge of their primes. I think Wyclef is still is still something. Um, you remember that, Chris? You probably saw this that uh, Wyclef joint that he did on Chappelle's show. The If I Were President. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That thing was, that really showed off his shit, man. Like, mm-hmm. like his, his, uh, look at all his Haitian. shit. Mm-hmm. Is he Haitian or, um, he's, he's from a Caribbean island. Uh, but it really showed off like that kind of reggae type of thing. He is Haitian. Is he Haitian? Okay. Yeah. Like I said, I didn't give a shit about it because it was another one of those, like, why do we always pick the story where the pretty girl gets killed? And that's the story that, that gets like months of attention. Whereas there's others out there that never do. So I usually just kind of like whatever, but this story, for some reason, uh, pulled me in because of just that. Yeah. That same that just that stuff that's going on with I mean I think it's rightly being called out that we don't make we collectively don't make as big a deal about women and children of color who go missing mm-hmm. um part of it is we 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 can only pay attention to what we are shown um and, and <clears throat> part of it is for me I think in this instance the very unique situation of him arriving home alone without her and hiring mm-hmm. a lawyer immediately. Like mm-hmm. the whole thing was like, Hey guys, well, mm-hmm. I, I mentioned to you that it's very gone girly. Uh, yeah. Because mm-hmm. he seems like he's doing, he was doing the exact wrong one. Two people go out there. One person comes back. Lawyers up, doesn't talk to anybody, including his family. What's wrong here? There's something fucking yeah. wrong here. I think that was what made this more interesting and gripping to the, p- the public as a whole. Um, you know, so I think it's probably like everything. It's somewhere in between. It's uh, it's okay to be fascinated or intrigued by this case, uh, but it's okay to be reminded that there are cases we should also pay more attention to as well. Um, but yeah, I, I, I personally, I think I told you guys 
four or five days ago that I was strangely uh, drawn by this case just because the circumstances were so weird. It's tragic. I actually, I, I don't remember that. If I, if you, if you wrote that, then maybe, maybe that's part of the reason why I've suddenly taken it, like unconsciously taken an interest in it. But uh, you know, like I, I just, I, I think it's fascinating because I've seen a, quite a bit of these, like, um, you know, couples doing this YouTube channel thing together type yep. thing. And you never think about what's going on behind the scenes. You think the camera captures everything. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so the fact that they've been doing this stuff on Instagram and YouTube where it's like, we're going on a road trip. We're going through the, going through the West and look at how awesome this is. And, everything and then meanwhile you know you see that you know you see an hour-long body cam video of of their you know that traffic stop and all that and and the the weird dynamics that go on during those things like i'm sitting there like hearing the cop talk and i'm like dude this this cannot be policy to talk this way to anybody like I, i i just i'm sitting there going don't she's crying and he's like no there's no need to cry i'm like are you fucking kidding me like why did why does that matter in this situation whether she's if to you that she's crying like like why do you need her to stop crying is what i'm saying yeah so like and and then just you know the whole thing where they just end up thinking well she's the one who must have been abusing him i don't know how they got to that conclusion at all i uh i don't either i i think there's also an important difference between following the case and then this kind of ghoulish speculation oh yeah where like Yesterday, it was one of their videos they had posted while they were both still happy and alive, and he was reading the book Annihilation, which got picked up. The story was basically fiancé seen days before her disappearance reading a book about women who go missing, and I'm like, that book is about fucking aliens, dude. Like, (laughs) there are four women characters in it, but to spin this, that's just for clicks, and that's disgusting, Mm -hmm. Uh, which is why I haven't, like, I'm not tweeting about this case or anything. I don't want to inject myself into it. I, um, you know, the certain cases just capture the nation's attention, and uh, this one got me. Yeah. These stories, you kind of have to wait until you have to wait for months to get the entire yeah and sometimes you still don't get the entire story yeah Um, that's that's frustrating sometimes because like i remember when uh steve mcnair was shot like uh everybody wanted to know everything about that right away because it was such a crazy story uh Mm -hmm. not only his profile but like hold on what and Mm -hmm. what and there were parasailing, and there was there was this, and what? And, uh, yeah, you, you didn't get the full picture about it until, you know, a couple months later and all that stuff. But I was riveted. I yeah. saw this movie. I think it was called The Flat or The Apartment. Low budget. <laughs> Couple couple p- actors in the you know, apartment. Yeah, listen, some, listen, some young director listen, named Billy Wilder. Listen, yeah. this is real. This is a real movie. Then these these uh, yuppie white guys shared the rent of this fuck pad, basically. Mm. And oh, then I know this movie. Somebody ends up dead. Yeah. in there, 
And I always, I, when I saw that, I, I thought, well, that was Steve McNair inspired, right? Like, hmm. I think it uh, did come out after. That was like Joel Edgerton? Like, uh, like well, it is Joel actor. Edgerton. I was going to say <laughs> Sean Patrick Flannery, but it is Joel Edgerton. <laughs> I don't remember who else. No, there's, is there. a, <laughs> there's a couple of like well-known actors in there because I think there's like four or five of them. Yeah, uh, but yeah, you're right. It could be. It could be. I actually saw that movie. No, it's saw terrible. Movie. It's a bad movie. No, it was awful. I'm gonna I find remember, out what it was called. I remember after all things had been s- pretty much settled, too. It was that Armin Katayan kept trying to dig into it even more and saying that the Nashville police weren't being forthcoming about certain things they found and all that. I don't know where that went either. Maybe he just gave up. I don't hmm. know, but. But I remember him being uh, super, uh, like, pursuing a story after all was pretty much said and done. I mean, it, there could be other stuff, but, I mean, it, they're both dead. Yeah. I mean, Holy uh, shit, Joel Edgerton was in a lot of shit before I knew who he was. Mm-hmm. He was fucking uh, Uncle, uh, Uncle Owen. Yeah. I can't find this fucking movie. What was Let's it not called? waste any more time the on secret, it. Though. Secret Garden. <laughs> it's called like Flowers in the Attic. The apartment Flowers or the, attic. the flat. Okay. It's it's probably well, I don't know. It it'd be bold to come out with a movie called The Apartment uh and just make some low budget fuck pad movie out of it. Hold on. No, I have to hold on. I have to find oh, no. this. I'm feeling the same. It can't be this close as Where's it gonna? No, that's not. I'm gonna Google movie (laughs) fuck pad. (laughs) I'm gonna get there before you. I'm gonna get there. For it's uh, guys share apartment for sex. Oh, here we go. It's it's loft. Ha! The loft. I was close. The apartment. The flat. The loft. Mm -hmm. Uh, let's see who's in this. Uh. Oh God, Carl Urban. Yeah, hmm. I tell um, you, there's there's some James Marsden, yeah. Wentworth Miller. Those are all the same people. Those are all the same people. <laughs> um, I don't see any other names I recognize. Remember when you said you were going to get there before me? <laughs> I don't see the loft on Joel Edgerton's IMDb. He's not in it. You were wrong about them. Oh, he's not on there. Oh, that's fine. He's not in that movie. It's James Marsden, Wentworth Miller, and Carl Urban. And I see. I so see. I was wrong with Sean Patrick Flannery, <laughs> and you were wrong with Joel Edgerton. 14% on Rotten Tomatoes and 6.3, respectable, I guess, on IMDb. That movie sucks. I have... Yeah, I thought it was terrible. <laughs> I remember uh, as a kid... Uh... <laughs> I remember it, I was, as a kid, I was, uh, I don't know how old I was, like maybe 13, 14 years old or something. I went over to this guy's house and we started watching like, I think it was Bloodsport or Kickbox or one of the Jean, one of those Jean-Claude Van Damme movies. Those are the same movie. Yeah. And uh, his dad walked in while we were watching Bloodsport and he goes, uh, he's like, hey, John, what are you watching? And he goes, Bloodsport. And he goes, is there any nudity in it? <laughs> he's like, well, he goes, uh, I think it shows his butt. Uh, at some point or whatever and he's like okay and he walks out (laughs) (laughs) 
By the way, mm-hmm. Eric Stone Street uh, from Modern Family is in the mm-hmm. loft. That was the other guy that I was thinking about. Oh. Oh. Also oh. of almost famous fame, she freaked me out. Oh. Wow. There's so many. Fa- every single person in Hollywood was in Almost Famous. Mm-hmm. That and Band of Brothers. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yep. Yes. What the hell are you waiting for? Gonna get an encore. Do you want more? What are you waiting for? A grave invitation? <laughs> Is that uh, that's the one that they did with Jay Z at some mm-hmm. point, right? They remixed yep. and made the Gray album. Yes. No, it wasn't the was it the Gray album that Danger Mouse did. Uh, I, I, I don't, I actually don't remember, but I, I just remember it was that Lincoln Park Jay-Z collaboration is all I remember. Yeah. 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 Gray mm-hmm. album may have been the white album, the black, uh, the Metallica's black album, the Danger Mouse did. It was a uh, mm-hmm. whole thing, but, uh, yeah, I actually did like those remixes. I, I'm not a Lincoln Park fan. I appreciate what they do. Uh, but I wasn't a huge fan and I don't like Jay-Z, but I, I did like that alchemy no between jay-z and the beatles and weezer i think every color on the spectrum has an album named after it you're probably right no uh yeah frank ocean did orange no it was jay-z's black album and the the beatles white album yeah it's uh the the album was called collision course and um it features three songs from meteora uh, four from Hybrid Theory, and from Jay-Z, it features three from the Black Album, one from Volume 3, Life and Times, of S. Carter, and one from Volume 2, Hard Knock Life, and one from Blueprint. If he fucked me good, I'd take his ass to Red Lobster. Mm-hmm. That's right. That broke the internet for a day. Mm. God bless Beyonce. She can come out with raunchy shit, baby. Mm-hmm. And uh, everybody's like, oh, Queen Bay. <laughs> exactly. I just broke Barrett. Yep. Yep. Hi. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> okay, let me explain it to you this way. Um, she's like Cindy Crawford. I recognize her beauty, but she's not attractive to me in that way. And Red Lobster is ass. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Sorry, um, but Red Lobster is ass. Barrett is frozen. <laughs> His internet's frozen. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm with you on the Red Lobster thing. I don't know if I'm with you on the Beyonce thing. I th- I, I'm not trying to say I find her unattractive. No, no, I'm I, just I, saying I understand. She does not push my buttons. Mm-hmm. I would spend my energy elsewhere. She super pushes my buttons and gold member. I'm attracted to Kristen Stewart. What the hell am I doing there? I <laughs> don't know. Don't know <laughs> I remember doing the first Twilight video. Like, I think I wrote like 20, like harsh Kristen Stewart sense on that thing. Ended up having quite a bit anyway, but like we were, this is back in the days where we'd do the video and it'd be, you know, like eight or nine minutes or whatever. And, we'd start cutting things and renumbering and everything. And like, and like Jeremy's like, I think we might be going a little bit too hard on Kristen Stewart. <laughs> now 
he's completely right completely <laughs> and totally right uh but i didn't realize also he had the secret crush at the time yeah uh, well. <laughs> that was that was during her the highest tabloid era when she broke up with robert pattinson and started dating that dude who did snow white and the huntsman yeah um or, yes. or just or cheated on pattinson with with him or whatever and we God, we went we went super into the tabloid shit in that video <laughs> no 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 i give a fuck about what you said no um 